Hello, and welcome to Scry. I am the Seer, your host into the realms of shadows and darkness. In this episode, you will hear four stories in the author's own words. A word of warning before we begin, however. The stories covered in Scry are unfiltered and are not suitable for children. I make use of the explicit tag for a reason. Our first story is definitely not for the young ones and features an entity that develops a nasty pattern. Written and experienced by Dean Venture, we now present his encounter with suicide, roommates, and recurrences. In 1997, I finally managed to develop a relationship with my high school crush. We had both graduated that year and were working crappy jobs, but enjoying life, or so I thought. She lived in her childhood home with her brother who had purchased the house from their parents. We stayed up late, drank shitty beer her brother bought us, and did the stuff that 18-year-old kids do. One night she told me a story from her childhood that really chilled me. I've never been one to believe in the supernatural, but because she was so serious and visibly disturbed when recounting her experience, I couldn't help but believe she really saw something. I forget the specific details of the story, but it featured a dark hooded figure standing in her doorframe one night. She described how an overwhelming feeling of dread and doom instantly washed over her. The figure raised an arm as if accusing her of something and then disappeared. She was absolutely terrified, too scared to move, scream, or anything else. At first, I thought that she was joking with me, but the look on her face told another story. She saw something that night. She had relayed the ordeal to her family members the next day, but it was dismissed as if it was just another typical childhood nightmare. Her story was pretty chilling, especially because this event happened in the very room in which we were currently sleeping. But her story was soon shuffled to the back of the line in my brain, leaving me with happier thoughts. Three months into our relationship, this poor young girl hung herself in the closet. The night of her death, I had to go home for some reason, and I promised to pick her up for breakfast. When I arrived at her house the following morning, I was greeted by two detectives, her brother and her father. I was absolutely devastated. I won't go into further detail, but that was a very difficult year for me. If it weren't for a very dear friend, my life could have taken a very different course. A few years later, I ended up moving into the house as a tenant. The brother and I were friends, and rent was dirt cheap. It was a little weird being in the house again, but I got over it. I didn't take her room for obvious reasons. There were other tenants as well. One of the renters was a girl I had not previously known. The brother had met her recently, and upon hearing of her housing woes, offered her his sister's old room. 
He didn't tell her that this was the room where his sister had died. The tenant knew that his sister had committed suicide, but not where or when. I should also mention that the female tenant had never met the deceased girl. They didn't know each other. Here's the punchline. Sorry. One night, we're all sitting around in the living room drinking rum and coke. The roommate mentioned a terrible nightmare she had endured the previous evening. This girl went on to describe the same exact hooded figure standing in the doorway, accusatory pose and all. Her nightmare was almost verbatim what my then-girlfriend had experienced and relayed to me two years prior. I, I don't know how to describe the feeling that went through my body. To say I was chilled would be the understatement of the century. The brother and I were speechless. We didn't bother to tell her the story, but she could tell something was amiss. Soon after that, I moved out. I can't blame Dean Venture for moving out of that home, and hopefully the entity that his girlfriend and roommate had encountered had no further effect. We also offer our condolences to the loss of his girlfriend and remind our listeners that suicide is never the option. If you or a loved one, or anyone for that matter, is struggling with suicidal thoughts and urges, then please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at one 800 273-8255. Again, that's 1-800-273-8255. Someone out there cares. Whether you feel like it or not, I swear that that's true. In our next encounter, Guitar Monkey 55 recounts his experience with lucid dreaming, sleep paralysis, and something that borders on the beyond. Let's gaze into the obsidian mirror and sharing his experience. So, first off, a little background to set this story up. A few years ago as a freshman in college, I became interested in lucid dreaming and decided to teach myself how to do it intentionally. This involved keeping dream journals and learning my own signs that I was dreaming versus awake, and so forth. Not something I would personally recommend in hindsight, because once you start, it becomes incredibly difficult to stop, with the unfortunate side effect of terribly unrestful sleep and endless bouts of sleep paralysis. After a while, it really starts to get to you. I mention this because it is relevant to the event and also because I have experienced an extremely large number of sleep paralysis episodes, and I am very familiar with them. So, I got home from summer school, I was living with my parents at this point, at about 1pm, and didn't have to work that evening. I was home alone and very tired. I decided to take a nap on the couch in the front room of our house. This house was just a typical middle school suburban home in Sugarland, Texas, if you know where that is. 
I wasn't getting particularly restful sleep and kept waking up in sleep paralysis, but with no hallucinations. Just awake and can't move. This happened several times. I finally fell back asleep and abruptly awoke and turned to look at the nearby clock on the computer screen in the room, seeing it to be just after 3pm. Something was different this time. I had the distinct feeling that I was being watched, and although I felt strange and groggy, I was able to move my head. I had a terrible feeling that I should not look down towards my feet, facing the front door of the house. I finally, slowly shifted my gaze down there, and I'm greeted with the sight of a row of solemn, black-robed and hooded figures proceeding in a slow march straight through the closed front door and down the hallway further into the house. Each was holding a candle, clasped at stomach height, with their head down and a hood covering their face. Strangely enough, this didn't scare me that much. As I watched this in a somewhat foggy state, a figure came into view wearing a white robe, with the hood down and face visible. I immediately, definitely and clearly, recognized this to be the face of a kid who went to my high school. Child of a casual family friend who I didn't really have much to do with. He was in the middle of this procession with, if I remember correctly, four individuals in front and four in back. He didn't look at me, but just marched straight through with the rest of them. After a moment, the last one disappeared down the hall, and that was that. I kind of shook off the sleep and got up. Of course, the house was empty and there was nothing out of the ordinary when I checked around. The next day is when it really got creepy. I worked nights teaching music lessons, and in this particular night, I was coming back from Pearland, a suburb a good 45 minutes east of where I lived at the time. I arrived home at about 9.30pm and was greeted by my mother, who showed me an article in the local newspaper reporting a death in a serious car accident. Two cars had been racing down the street outside my house, and one lost control, wrapping around a tree and killing the driver instantly. It was the kid I saw in the robed procession the day before, and he died at about 3 p.m., not a hundred feet from my house. This has always creeped me out since, and I've only ever told my wife this story. I have no idea why I would have seen him other than my proximity to the location of the accident, as we were not even remotely close acquaintances and had only spoken on a small handful of occasions very briefly. Much like Guitar Monkey 55, I too have had numerous experiences with sleep paralysis, and I tend to have lucid dreams quite a bit as well. What he encountered, however, doesn't strike me as sleep paralysis, but something else. Something that picked up on events that were occurring near his home. And speaking of home, 
homes are sometimes abandoned, leading children to believe that they can become places to play, often ignoring the warnings of their parents, as would be the case with Raider Bob, who writes of his experience of disobeying his parents and being somewhere he shouldn't. Growing up in the early 80s, there was a big abandoned two-story house about four miles away from my neighborhood. I always hung out with the same four or five kids back then, and the rumor we heard was that in the 40s and 50s, an old man lived there who would abduct children and take them to that house to torture and kill them. We didn't go there too often. We had a dump and a swimming hole in the other direction. But when we did we'd always dare each other to go inside. My parents caught us near there once and screamed at us to never go in there. They were really upset and said that while we couldn't see it from the outside, a fire damaged most of the house and that it could fall down at any time. They told me to stay away or I'd get the belt like never before. So with my parents' warning, obviously, the next day we went back to the house, and I finally got tired of the dares from my friends, and I went inside. I remembered being told about the fire, but aside from the place being empty and dirty, there didn't seem to be any damage. It was very big inside, and all of the floors and walls were covered in a dark shade of wood. I walked around the first floor, starting in the vestibule, and moved through the living room on my left. I went through the kitchen, dining room, and what looked like a study, and found myself back at the front door. Things started to feel really creepy. I walked out the front door, and my friends all called me a chicken. They reminded me that the dare was to go through all of the house and I hadn't spent a long enough time inside. I turned around and found myself back in the vestibule, looking at the staircase leading up to the second floor. I took a deep breath and started to climb. I'd made it just about halfway up the stairs, when to my left, part of the ceiling above the living room fell with a tremendous crash. My friends were all screaming outside because of the noise. I ran down the steps and was heading for the front door when something caught my eye. In the rubble left by the falling ceiling, I saw what looked to be 20 or so partially burnt Christmas presents tied with bows. Walking over to the area, I saw children's toys in the packages. The most memorable being a doll with half its face just melted away. I looked up through the hole in the ceiling and saw an old metal Christmas tree that was also burnt. I stood in that living room in kind of a trance. I don't know if I was having a vision or what, but I could see in my mind exactly what had happened there years ago. There was a scrawny old man with white scraggly hair 
decorating the upstairs room for Christmas, laughing and giggling like a schoolgirl, while tears flowed down the faces of three children, gagged and bound to chairs around him. A spark shot from the electrical outlet near the window that ignited the drapes, which set the tinsel and fake snow on the window ablaze. The old man ran to put out the fire, and as he beat out the flames, he became entangled in the tinsel and caught fire himself. He ran around spreading the fire throughout the room. The children screamed as they burned, but when their bindings fell away, all three children ran to the old man and tackled him to the floor. I came back to my senses when another part of the ceiling collapsed almost on top of me. I ran out the door and about a mile down the road until I stopped. My friends caught up with me and asked what had happened. I told them and we were all determined to find out if my vision was real. We did our best to find anything out about it. I even asked my parents and took a beating for just talking about the house. We never could get any information out of anyone regarding that house or what really happened there. Our final tale of the show features the story of a man who feels like the men in his family are cursed and witnesses the curse manifest itself as an entity one night when he was a child, although those around him seemed oblivious to the experience. Before getting to the story, there are a few things that I need to explain as a preface. My grandfather was born in the 20s and never knew his father. His father had ran off with another woman, leaving him and his mother to fend for themselves. This would be tough on any kid, but it was especially tough on my grandfather, being that it was very uncommon in the 20s and 30s when he was growing up. Of course, this has had a lasting impact on my grandfather, and he vowed not to ever divorce his wife, no matter how bad it got. Fast forward 20 years. My grandfather is now married with four children, my father being the oldest. My grandmother, whom I never really knew, was apparently very abusive to my grandfather. My dad will tell stories about my grandmother screaming at and hitting my grandfather, and my grandfather doing nothing to defend himself. This will be important in a minute. This same spirit of animosity by the wives towards the husbands in my family had apparently begun as early as my great-grandparents and been a curse passed down from generation to generation. This spirit, which... I believe to be demonic, manifested itself in literally every relationship in my father's family, myself included. I do not believe in ghosts, however we are all strong Christians and do believe in evil spirits, i.e. demons. 
fast forward another 20 years and I'm four or five and living with my parents and brother and sister in a house owned by our extended family while we wait on our house to be built. The house only had two bedrooms and since it was temporary, my brother and I shared a bedroom, my sister had a bedroom, and my parents had converted the den into a temporary bedroom. To get a better feel for the layout of the house, when you walk into the house, you walk into the living room. Down a short foyer and to the left was the den. Around the corner from the den was a long hallway with the room I shared with my brother at the end on the left and my sisters at the end on the right. One night, with everyone asleep but my parents, I woke up and went into their room to ask a question. After being told to go back to bed, I rounded the corner to head back down the hallway. When I turned the corner, I saw an old woman standing at the very end of the hallway facing me, in front of the two back bedrooms. I, I can picture her perfectly to this day. Tall, slender, gray-white hair and a 50s-style bobbed haircut. She was wearing a yellow sweater, blue jeans, white tennis shoes, and large plastic-framed glasses. When I saw her, it frightened me, but not as much as it should have. I turned around and walked back to tell my dad, who, of course, did not believe me. He picked me up and turned into the hallway to head back towards my room. When we rounded the corner again, the woman was standing all the way at the close end of the hallway, two or three feet from the corner of the den. I could see her clearly, but my dad saw nothing. As I freaked out, he carried me past the woman, who calmly moved to let us past my bedroom. As we walked, she followed closely behind, with me staring at her over my dad's shoulder. When he got to the door of the bedroom, he looked in, and all was normal. However, I could still see the woman just over his shoulder, glaring at us. As he turned back around and carried me back to the den, the woman once again turned to let us pass. As we moved towards the den, she stood stationary at the door to my bedroom. However, when we almost got to the den, she ran down the hallway towards us, screaming this awful, guttural sound. When she caught up to my dad, she began beating on his back, but he still did not feel or hear anything. As we turned the corner into the den, the woman stopped. At this point, I am past panicked, so my parents let me hang out with them until they were ready to go to bed. When they went to bed, my dad once again carried me back towards my bedroom. But this time, the woman was nowhere to be found. We entered my bedroom and I climbed into bed. When I looked up, I saw the back window was open and the blinds were blowing in the breeze. For years after this event, I told my parents the story, and they never remembered that night. They were convinced I had dreamed the whole thing. I knew I hadn't. I began to have reoccurring nightmares with this same woman. In each one, she would attack my father in some way. 
As I got older, the dreams began to fade, and I was starting to convince myself that the whole incident had been a dream. One winter night, when I was 13 or 14, my dad was reading the newspaper. As he discarded sections he didn't care for, the obituary section landed face up on the floor. Who do I see on the front page? None other than the woman who I had seen that night and in each dream since. I began freaking out. It confirmed for me that what I had seen was not a dream at all. From that point on, my dad never doubted the story. While the author of this tale recounts personal experiences of domestic violence, both personally and those of his family members, domestic violence is never acceptable. Never. And while this story features an entity that seeks out such things, demonic entities are not responsible for the overwhelmingly vast majority of domestic violence incidents. If you're in an abusive relationship, then please call 1-800-799-7233 and speak to the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Again, that's 1-800-799-7233. Nobody should have to live in fear from spirits or those who claim to love them. And now it's time to close the gate once again and return to the light. We thank the authors who have shared their experiences and invite you to share your experience as well. You can submit your story at scrypod.com. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever service you listen with. Your reviews help us grow our audience. And please, tell a friend. Don't keep all the scares to yourself. I would also like to thank the incredibly talented Iran Horrors for our logo. Check out more of his work on DeviantArt. Last week, I goofed on the podcast recommendation, and I named It's Haunted, Now What? I should have said It's Haunted, What Now? To their host and showrunner Laney, I'm sorry that I goofed on the name. But keep up the great work and continue sending us those shivers. But now it's time to end this session, this seance of sound. And remember, as always, to say goodbye. This is Scry.